Hi, welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. I'm Michelle Chen, a partner in our financial services group. With me today is Jun Hu, an associate in our general practice group whose work focuses on ESG and public company advisory matters. Today, Jun and I are going to talk about the SEC's new climate disclosure proposal and its implications for financial institutions. Climate change disclosure has been at the forefront of the Commission's agenda. After a year of anticipation, on March the 21st, the SEC released a comprehensive proposal to mandate climate-related disclosures in reporting companies' annual reports and registration statements. The proposed rules are broad, prescriptive, and granular. In many ways, the climate disclosure proposal marks a significant departure from the SEC's longstanding principles-based and materiality-based disclosure regime. In this regard, the proposal has already generated much comment and debate among industry participants, and the proposal may become subject to legal challenge. The proposed rules have facing compliance dates. If the final rules become effective by the end of this year, the largest reporting companies could be required to begin reporting as early as 2024 with respect to fiscal year 2023 climate-related disclosures. Of course, that means SEC reporting companies need to get ready much earlier than the relevant compliance dates so that they can start collecting climate data and put in place the necessary disclosure controls and procedures for climate-related disclosures in their SEC filings. Although the proposal is not industry-specific, some aspects of the proposal may have particular implications for financial institutions. This is the case, especially in light of the increasing focus from financial regulators on climate-related financial risks, as well as financial institutions' other obligations that may affect their overall climate strategy. Today, we'll focus our attention on the proposal's most significant implications for financial institutions. June, can you give us some background and an overview of the SEC's proposal? Thanks, Michelle, of course. Post rules are a culmination of a lengthy and multidimensional effort on the part of the SEC. The existing climate disclosure framework, which is outlined in the SEC's 2010 interpretive release, does not mandate climate-related disclosures in SEC filings. Rather, it requires a company to include climate-related disclosures in SEC filings, if and to the extent material, to investors. In March 2021, citing the demand for climate change information and questions about whether the existing climate disclosure framework adequately informs investors, then-acting Commissioner Allison Lee requested public input from investors, registrants, and other market participants on climate change disclosure. Around the same time, the SEC also announced the creation of the Climate and ESG Task Force in the Division of Enforcement to proactively address emerging disclosure gaps that threaten investors and the market. In September of last year, the SEC released sample comments it may issue to registrants regarding their compliance with the 2010 guidance. One point that the SEC focused on in the sample comment letter was the fact that many U.S. public companies have voluntarily provided more expansive climate-related information in their CSR reports than they provide in their SEC filings. 
In the proposing release accompanying the proposed climate disclosure rules, the SEC highlighted the voluntary disclosures, which vary in scope and specificity, stating that registrants' voluntary reporting outside of SEC filings has failed to produce the consistent, comparable, and reliable information that investors need. Under the proposed rules, U.S. public companies and foreign private issuers, other than Canadian issuers using Form 40F, would need to include extensive climate-related disclosures in their annual reports and registration statements. A reporting company would be required to disclose climate-related risks that are material to a company's business, including physical risks to their properties, processes, or operations on a zip code by zip code basis, as well as climate-related impacts on the company's strategy, business model, and outlook. Registrants also need to provide disclosures on Scope 1 and Scope 2 greenhouse gas emissions, and if material are included in the company's targets and goals, Scope 3 GHG emissions, with the disclosure being made in absolute terms and based on intensity. It's worth noting that regarding Scope 1 and Scope 2 emissions metrics, larger reporting companies would also need to obtain third-party assurance over these metrics that ultimately reach the level of reasonable assurance, which is the assurance standard for audited financials included in annual reports. The proposed rules would require a reporting company to include qualitative and quantitative climate risk disclosures in notes to their audited financial statements. The disclosures are triggered if the impacted amount is 1% or more of a particular line item, even if the line item is not material. These new disclosures would then be subject to audit by the company's auditors and come within the scope of the company's internal control over financial reporting. Companies need to provide details on internal carbon price if used, scenario analyses if conducted, climate-related targets and goals if adopted, and targets or goals if set by the company. In addition, the proposed rules require disclosures on climate-related governance and risk management, including extensive details on board and management processes and expertise. For example, a company would be required to identify the climate expert or experts on their board, providing such detail as necessary to fully describe the nature of the expertise. Although the SEC has stated that its proposed climate disclosure rules are modeled in part on the recommendations of the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD, they're more granular and prescriptive in many places. This means that even if a reporting company has already began to prepare or publish TCFD-aligned disclosures, whether voluntarily or in response to requirements in other jurisdictions, a gap analysis is still necessary to assess the institution's readiness to comply with the proposed rules. Thanks, June. With that background, we'll now dive deeper into a few aspects of the proposal that may have particularly significant implications for financial institutions. As June mentioned, the proposed rules would require disclosure of scope three emissions only if those emissions are material or if the company has set a greenhouse gas emissions reduction target or goal that includes scope three emissions. However, as a practical matter, the disclosure of scope three emissions will likely be mandatory for many financial institutions. 
Let me unpack this a little bit here. Scope three emissions refer to all indirect greenhouse gas emissions that occur in the institution's upstream and downstream value chain. The SEC has proposed to define value chain broadly and consistent with the GHG protocol, the identified categories of downstream activities that give rise to scope three emissions include the category of investments. For banks, scope three emissions would capture emissions in connection with their lending and investment activities, commonly referred to as financed emissions. For insurance companies, scope three emissions would capture the greenhouse gas emissions of their insurance and their reinsurance underwriting portfolios, commonly referred to as insured emissions. The disclosure of scope three emissions will likely be required for many financial institutions in practice under either one or both of the disclosure triggers. First, in response to demand from investors and other stakeholders, many financial institutions have already voluntarily announced their greenhouse gas emissions reduction targets or goals, some of which include scope three emissions. If a financial institution has done that, it would be required to provide scope three emissions disclosures under the proposed rules, regardless of whether scope three emissions are determined to be material for that institution. In the proposing release, the SEC explained that this approach would enable investors to understand the scale and scope of actions an issuer may need to take to fulfill its commitment to reduce its scope three emissions as well as the potential financial impact of that commitment on the issuer. The second disclosure trigger is materiality. Under the SEC's general materiality standard, a reporting company would be required to disclose its scope three emissions if there is a substantial likelihood that a reasonable investor would consider them important when making an investment or voting decision. Although the SEC declined to propose a quantitative threshold for determining materiality of scope three emissions and cited its general materiality standard instead, the SEC did note that some companies rely on or support reliance on a quantitative threshold, such as 40% when assessing the materiality of scope three emissions. According to a report published by the CDP last year, GHG emissions associated with financial institutions investing, lending, and underwriting activities are on average over 700 times higher than their direct emissions. The report was based on data from 84 financial institutions, including banks, global asset managers, and insurers. Given those numbers, financial institutions scope three emissions almost certainly will exceed the 40% quantitative threshold referenced in the proposing release. In addition, the SEC also indicated that even if scope three emissions may make up a relatively small portion of a company's overall GHG emissions, they may still be deemed material if scope three emissions represent a significant risk or is subject to significant regulatory focus. There's no question that financial regulators are increasingly focused on climate-related financial risks. Michelle, I will also add that there are special challenges for calculating finance admissions. 
many financial institutions have a complex value chain, which will require that they track hundreds, if not thousands, of data points from third parties to calculate their emissions. Insurers will face a similar issue when calculating the emissions-related data of the assets, companies, and risks they insure. These challenges will be amplified in the early years of any adoption of the proposed rules. Certain standards and methodologies developed by financial sector participants, such as the Partnership for Carbon Accounting Financials, or PCAF, are beginning to gain traction. However, there is still no consensus on standards and methodologies for calculating finance emissions. This is one of the main reasons the SEC has declined to mandate a particular methodology for calculating finance emissions in the proposed rules. I agree. The SEC acknowledged these issues, and in response to concerns regarding the current lack of data and consensus on methodologies regarding Scope 3 emissions, the SEC proposed a longer phasing period for Scope 3 emissions one additional year compared to the compliance timeline for other required climate disclosures. For example, the largest reporting companies could be required to provide climate disclosures other than Scope 3 emissions for fiscal year as early as 2023, and Scope 3 emissions for fiscal year as early as 2024. In addition, the SEC also proposed a modified liability safe harbor for disclosure of Scope 3 emissions, where the disclosure would not be deemed a fraudulent statement unless it is shown that the disclosure was made or reaffirmed without a reasonable basis or was disclosed other than in good faith. However, the data collection, calculation, and disclosure of Scope 3 emissions are still expected to be one of the biggest challenges for financial institutions under the proposed rules. In addition to Scope 3 emissions, the proposed rules also include other disclosure requirements that are technically not mandatory, but in practice may not be optional for financial institutions. As June noted, under the proposal, if a company conducts climate scenario analysis, sets climate targets or goals, or has adopted a transition plan, detailed disclosures are required on those topics. Many companies and financial institutions in particular have already taken those types of actions due to pressures from stakeholders or guidance from their regulators. A number of U.S. financial regulators, including the federal banking regulators and state banking and insurance regulators, have recently issued or proposed guidance for financial institutions to accelerate and enhance their climate-related efforts, including the management of their climate-related financial risks. The supervisory expectations of those regulators and potential future regulatory requirements will undoubtedly have an impact on the way that the proposed rules apply to companies in the financial services industry, even though the rules themselves are not industry specific. Take climate scenario analysis, for example. Under the proposed rules, if an institution conducts climate scenario analysis, then regardless of materiality, it must disclose details of the scenarios considered the parameters and assumptions used, the analytical choices made, as well as the projected principal financial impacts on business strategy under each scenario. 
Many financial institutions already conduct climate scenario analysis. In the United States, although the federal banking regulators have not required their supervised institutions to conduct scenario analysis by regulation, they have indicated that climate scenario analysis is a key tool for managing climate-related financial risks. For example, the OCC and the FDIC have proposed substantially the same principles for climate-related financial risk management for banks with over $100 billion in total assets. In the proposed guidance, both regulators noted that management should develop and implement climate-related scenario analysis frameworks in a manner commensurate to the bank's size, complexity, business activity, and risk profile. In addition, Federal Reserve Governor and Vice Chair Reynard had also indicated in a speech that scenario analysis is a useful tool in assessing the links between climate-related risks and economic outcomes, and that scenario analysis can help inform risk management at the level of individual financial institutions and more broadly. Among those financial institutions that already have begun to conduct scenario analysis, many are still in the early stages of implementation. The process of further developing and refining scenario analysis to establish appropriate scenarios, assumptions, and methodologies is expected to be an evolving and iterative process. Input from industry members and regulators over time will inform industry standard practices. In this regard, requiring public disclosures as soon as a financial institution starts to use scenario analysis and before scenario analysis as a tool may have reached a sufficient level of maturity may result in premature, outdated, or confusing disclosure. But on the other hand, it may also accelerate the evolution and standardization of practices around scenario analysis. For financial institutions that do not already conduct scenario analysis, the proposed rules may deter them from employing this tool until they are required to do so or until there is a convergence of market standard practices. When considering the new climate disclosure requirements, Financial institutions should also keep in mind the potential liability attached to these disclosures. Even for financial institutions that provide robust and TCFD-aligned climate disclosures, currently these disclosures are published generally on the institution's website rather than in any SEC filing. The proposed rules, if adopted as proposed, would significantly expand the scope of both historical and forward-looking disclosures that companies will be required to include in their filed SEC periodic reports and registration statements, including information from third-party sources and data calculated based on evolving methodologies. However, the proposed rules only include limited safe harbors that are in many ways more narrow than the safe harbors applicable today to information that can be calculated on a much more reliable basis. As one example, although the SEC notes that the proposed transition periods for assurance over greenhouse gas emissions disclosures are intended to provide companies with time to familiarize themselves with the greenhouse gas emission disclosure requirements, 
and to develop the relevant disclosure controls and procedures. The proposed rules do not provide a safe harbor for corrections that may result over time as a consequence of this transition. Michelle, in light of the timing, content, and liability considerations we just discussed, what do you think are the most important takeaways for financial institutions as they consider the implications of the rules? I'll flag two key takeaways. First, given the limited phasing periods, the scope and the complexity of the proposal, the potential liability associated with the disclosures, and the increasing enforcement focus on ESG disclosures, financial institutions need to consult with internal and external experts as soon as possible to understand the implications of the proposed rules for the specific institution. Financial institutions should also monitor the potential rules impact on market practices regarding voluntary climate-related disclosures, even if the adoption of the proposed rules is challenged or delayed. And the second point is that financial institutions should think holistically about their climate strategy and all legal and regulatory requirements relevant to their climate strategy. Those other legal and regulatory requirements may include fair access requirements and fair lending requirements. On the fair access point, the OCC had in January 2021 adopted a fair access rule that would have prohibited large national banks from denying financial services to customers solely on a subjective basis. For example, denying credit to fossil fuel companies. Following a change in the administration in the same month, the OCC announced that it would not move forward with the fair access rule. However, bills with similar requirements have been introduced in the Congress and adopted or considered in various states, including Texas. The SEC acknowledged in the proposing release that the proposed rules could lead a financial institution to disengage with certain clients due to the effect that they may have on the firm's scope three emissions. Financial institutions, particularly those that are active in states with significant presence of fossil fuel-based industries, will need to monitor legal developments on fair access requirements and factor in any fair access requirements when assessing any climate strategy, especially any strategy that may involve limiting or denying credit extensions to certain categories of customers, such as fossil fuel companies. On the fair lending point, before committing to take any climate and other broader ESG-related actions, financial institutions should carefully consider the potential impact of their actions on financially vulnerable populations, including conducting fair lending risk analysis for banks and reviewing insurance unfair discrimination requirements for insurers. The Financial Stability Oversight Council, as well as its financial regulator members, have warned financial institutions the potentially disproportionate adverse impact of climate change on financially vulnerable populations, including low and moderate income communities, communities of color, and other disadvantaged or underserved communities. In particular, certain actions to address climate-related financial risks by financial institutions may make it even more difficult for the financially vulnerable populations because they have even fewer resources to recover from the adverse impacts. 
The SEC acknowledged these potential consequences in the proposing release. For example, with respect to the requirement to disclose physical risks by zip code, the SEC noted that this requirement could cause some firms to relocate assets or operations to geographical areas less exposed to physical risks and or give preferences to such areas for future business activity. Financial institutions will need to be aware of the legal and reputational costs of their climate-related actions. Therefore, it is critical to think of climate as part of a financial institution's overall strategy, which needs to be shaped in consultation with other internal and external groups, including those focused on fair lending and community development. Thank you for listening to SNC's Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us at www.socrum.com. Thank you.